Hey everybody, Digital Bytes Team Blockchains Podcast for October 12th. Johnny, did you know that it is CyberFM's 15th birthday? 15th? Does that mean you're allowed to drive a car because you're in America? In the state of Georgia, we could drive a car. Certain states are 16, but I think at 15, CyberFM is just discovering itself now. Just discovering itself. It's got those nasty, naughty teenage sort of years almost receding into the background and you're... You've become a real entity, not a man, not a woman, a real entity. We're getting facial hair, finally. Oh, too much information. Too much information. Well, uh, James, thank you. It's great to be back on the air with you. As you say, 12th October Digital Bytes. Um, For new listeners, this is a weekly uh, podcast that uh, James Tiley at Cyber.fm and myself, Johnny Fright, Team Blockchain here in the UK. And we're looking at how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used in different jurisdictions and different industries. And, and James, we've got, we've got a few different um, articles this week. And after the break, um, we've got Marco. Marco Annabali, is it? You're great with your New York. How do you pronounce his name? Because you're so good with your New York accent. So he confirmed it should be Marco Annabali. And Marco Annabali. I think he could come from New York as well. He sounded a little New York to me, I think, when we spoke he's, to him he's earlier. Li- he's living in the Cayman Islands. So he's a little bit east of you, a long way west of me. Um, but more of that after the break. And he's going to be talking about blockchains and sustainable development because Marco and myself are at a conference next week in London um, hosted by CC Forum, looking at sustainability and climate change, and things like that. But, but James, what have we got this week in Digital Bytes? Well, we've got a dangerous conversation to have about the music industry transforming oh, the asset management sector. Good. But I like uh, you know how the metaverse is changing business is probably a big one. Okay, well, this is the reason we, we did this is that we've had a number of uh, listeners and readers. And, and by all means, if you've got if any of you listening there, uh, it doesn't matter where you're based. If you've got a topic or if you've got a, something you'd like us to look at and analyze, um, that's where we get some of our ideas and suggestions from. And, and a lot of people have written and said, look, I've heard about the metaverse. I'm not into gaming. I can't see how or why or where it's going to impact or affect me. So what's what's the big deal? And. At a very, very simplistic level, um, you know, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to admit it. I remember my IT director coming to me and saying, Johnny, we need a website. And I said, why? We've got a company brochure. Um, and prior to that, I remember him saying, Johnny, when are you going to get yourself a mobile phone, which at the time was like the weight of a car battery? And I said, well, look, you know, I'll be back in the office in an hour's time. If you need me, you know, write, take a note and I'll phone the person back. And you've got the mobile phone industry and now the Internet are multi-trillion dollar enterprises and businesses employing, you know, tens of hundreds of thousands of people. And potentially that's what the metaverse is going to be. The metaverse is going to create an economy which we've said before, um, according to McKenzie, could be um, the size of the third biggest economy in the world, i.e. Japan. If you believe Citibank, they reckon the metaverse could be you know, eight to 13 trillion, which is almost um, three times, well, it's almost uh, two thirds of the size of the US economy. US economy, around about 20 trillion. So 13 trillion, it's a big old market. But the great thing about the metaverse, James, is that it it doesn't necessarily need to be dominated by global, international, huge um, conglomerates. There's no reason why cyber.fm it has the same reach as, say, the BBC or um, Fox News or Singapore Strait Times or 
any other publication or, or broadcaster. Now, you, you could you've already got four and a half million listeners, James, all over the world. And in the metaverse, and you're already doing it with your beach party, you can actually reach anyone in the world. And therefore, this is the first time we're beginning to see a leveling up of the playing field from a competitive point of view. That's why it's going to change business. Yeah, we like to say that. We use that term a lot. The leveling of the playing field. Everybody's big. You know, my mother is 76 years old, and I had no idea, I swear to you, just completely out of the ordinary. I was over there taking care of my dad, and she has a pair of Oculus sitting on the windowsill charging. So, Mom, what what are you doing with a pair of Oculus? And she goes, yeah, I'm in the metaverse, and I'm, and I'm, I'm still setting it up. She's 76 years old, absolutely no interaction by me. I didn't say anything to her. I don't even think I talk about it in front of her. And she just helped herself to buy in a set. Well, what a what a what a what a great thing! And you know, I'm um, she she's got all sorts of other interests, and rather than reading about it in the paper or perhaps going online, she can now really engage and have a much more immersive experience in I don't know maybe travel or art or it may be some other sort of sports or something she's got to do. And with getting into the metaverse, it's just it, it's amazing. So some of the examples that we've we've looked at is how the metaverse can help things like remote work, um, give a more immersive shopping experience there's, there's this new word which we did talk about the day but it just does it just tickled my fancy you know this thing called fidgetal and it's not about fidgeting around that you're not meant to be doing when you're perhaps the back of the class or in church or something like that fidgetal is physical and digital and we're seeing it's like all these things when someone comes up with a word you think i've never heard of it and then goodness over the last three or four weeks i keep hearing this expression oh yeah we're gone fidgetal oh we, we we're getting together our marketing strategy to be more fidgetal um you know have you seen our fidgetal proposition i it's a combination of bricks and mortar stores and the actual online sort of um immersive experience that you can see in the metaverse and the numbers are numbers are pretty impressive when you look at you know something like um, nike land has had over 21 million people go and Visit it, and Nike's digital uh, revenue accounts for twenty six percent of the entire Nike brand revenue. So that's a, that's a real example of where you begin to see money going into this sector and impacting on a business. Nike Land. Oh, it's a Roblox store. I got you. Yeah, yeah, but it's not just it's not just things like that. It's, you know, you got um, you know, arguably sort of very mundane, very conservative, but you know these these guys are what I call the money men. You know, people like KPMG, the accountants, or Accenture, the consultants, they're both both using um, the metaverse um, to actually help their clients to actually recruit staff. So it's not about just gaming. It's going to creep into every part of our lives. And, you know, people are saying we're going to be spending, you know, a couple of hours a week in the metaverse. Well, if you're spending a couple of hours a week in the metaverse, um, as we said last week, when we were talking about fashion in the metaverse, you probably want to go and make sure you've got yourself a new whistle and flute, i.e. suit, um, or a snazzy pair of sneakers, as you'd call them, James. So that when you're in the metaverse, you look kind of hip and trendy. I want a fancy wheelchair. I'm going to focus okay. really hard on getting a, a wheelchair, maybe with jetpacks in the metaverse. That would work out. <laughs> Do you know, just I saw an article in the paper. The British Navy have actually now got jetpacks. And they're using them to inspect the outside of their warships. So when they're at sea and they you know, just have any damage or any maintenance they're doing, they strap on these jetpacks and they sort of whiz around the ships. I thought that was something straight out of Hollywood or James Bond, I thought. 
Yeah, no, I've totally seen that, and even, even uh, especially over water. I think water is a key proponent of that, but that's a, a whole other. Is water, is water the same as water? Water. Water. That's much water. better. Much better. Because old King Charlie, he won't be happy if you keep ruining the king's English, you know. <laughs> we'll have to ask Marco Anna Bally. <laughs> we must remember. But, James, one of the other articles we talked about um, was the music industry is digitally transformed. And now we're beginning to see that in the asset management sector. And what we were trying to, um, I suppose, illustrate was that if you look at the music industry and if you go back in time you know, to our grandparents, um, they, they had something called a gramophone and they had um, his master's voice. And some of you may remember so like a big trumpet thing and a dog sitting there. And you had to wind up the gramophone and a scratchy needle would, would, play, a, would play a tune. Now, you think um, that was how music was disseminated and listened to probably no more than, say, 70 years ago. And now you think how that how far we've come, you know, from, you know, gramophones to records to cassettes to CDs um, to online streaming. And arguably what Spotify did when they came out with their streaming, they they really forced Apple to go back to the drawing board and create Apple Music. Because what the music industry has done arguably has digitally transformed its business. So it's not just digitized, oh, you can buy a, a record online or you can have a website with, you know, Polygon or Warner Music or something like that, but the actual offering. So now you could listen to Spotify and download Spotify anywhere in the world, actually, even on the International Space Center. They were using listening to music. And we're beginning to see that in the asset management industry. So what I mean by that is that, um, you know, take something like mutual funds, which we've talked before about. They're beginning to put a digital wrapper around a mutual fund. So for your 401k in America or for your ISA or pension here in, in the UK, you can actually now, you're, you're increasing, you're going to be offered the ability to be able to buy and sell a mutual fund potentially 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the price is going to be dictated by the market, not by your asset manager. And so therefore, I was intrigued to see two stories. One was actually from um, a company called KKR, Corbus Kravis Roberts, who are a huge private equity firm. They, they run just under $500 billion worth of funds. And they've got a $4.5 billion healthcare fund. And normally, if you invest in a private equity fund, you've got to leave your money locked up for five or seven years. Well, now they're going to digitize that fund, which means that you'll be able to buy and sell within I before the fund gets rolled up. Now, the reason that's significant is the private equity market is worth over $7 trillion. So if we see that KKR healthcare fund starts attracting some volume, then why wouldn't other private equity firms do something very similar and create some liquidity and open up their, their asset, their product, their fund to a different but a global market? So that's an example of how it's digitally being transformed. The other thing I think is really significant is that there's a messaging system that 11,500 banks around the world use called SWIFT. And this system is based in Belgium. And it's a way the banks communicate and say, HSBC, we owe Citibank that. Oh, Citibank, you owe Barclays that. Oh, and Barclays, you owe BMP this. And they message all around the world so that they, at the end of the day, can tally up who owes, owes what. Now, they've been working on a central bank digital currency. And so they've come out with this announcement saying, yep, we now reckon that we can handle, um, you know, the messaging 
and the, 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 the transactions between banks, the 11,500 people to deal with, for, a, for digital currencies. But not just digital currencies, but we can deal with digital assets. So that means that they could actually start settling transactions and certainly messaging transactions that are to do with commodities, um, equities, debt instruments. So if that's the case, does that mean that SWIFT is setting up the infrastructure to say that a bank can actually buy and sell, you know, equities and, I don't know, bonds between each other? If that is the case, does that mean that they won't need the New York Stock Exchange or the London Stock Exchange or the Paris Bourse or, you know, are we going to see a real shift and digitally transform a big part of the financial service sector, I wonder? A big shift in SWIFT. Big shift in SWIFT, which is a technology itself, goes back to 74, I think it was. So it's Yeah, SWIFT, no, Swift, Swift is definitely old. And then you have the rumors of that new company taking over, right? Yeah, Are we well, allowed to name the names? Yeah, well, there's other, there's other companies out there who've been, you know, well, Ripple is a good example. You know, Ripple have been trying to give, or XRP have been trying to give um, SWIFT a run for its money, saying, well, we can actually send messages around and we can transfer value using XRP um, faster and cheaper. Um, than you know than the current Swift. You, you've got um, you know Wells Fargo and HSBC have developed something which is going to be in competition to CLS, and CLS is the mechanism many banks use to actually physically transfer money. Swift is not a money transfer; it's a message transfer system. But CLS um, is is a is a way that money gets transferred between banks and then settled within twenty four hours. Whereas HSBC and Wells Fargo reckon they've got something where you can have almost instantaneous settlement. Um, so you haven't got to wait 24 hours. You get the money in and out much, much quicker. So we're seeing a lot of changes that arguably financial service sector is digitally transforming. It's not just digital, because just to say, oh, well, you can only open a bank account um, online or we've got a website. Well, that's that's just digital, a digital sort of view. It's not digitally transforming. But we're beginning to see signs of a digitally transformed financial service sector. And certainly asset management um, seems to be. You know, right there at the forum. And this could be the killer app, James. A lot of people keep saying, what's going to bring blockchain technology to the masses? Well, if you look at the asset management industry, that's $100 trillion. So potentially, as you start to see digitally wrapped funds, that's going to affect you know, anyone that's got any savings or pensions. Um, that could be a killer app, if nothing else, which will actually cut costs and improve efficiency and make the system much safer and more compliant than the current system, which is very manually orientated and subject to sort of fat finger errors and stuff like that. Well, sure. It's going to give me access to things that are out of reach for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very much so. And access 24-7. You haven't got to wait for, you know, if you wake up in the middle of the night, want to do something because it's happening in Asia or Europe, well, you can do that. And likewise, in Europe, we can, we can then participate, which might undermine, you know, London has been a very, very strong, certainly it's the most important um, market for foreign exchange. Something like over 50% of all foreign exchange transactions happen through London because we're halfway between Asia and, you know, you guys in the States. But if you can now do it digitally, it kind of puts a question mark. Why do you need to be, why does any one centre need to be significant? And I, I know Marco's going to get into this after the break, talking about probably the biggest thing blockchain has got is not that it can do something, but it's almost the, the ethos, the, the 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 what it's built on, and that that is decentralization and makes a much more sustainable economy because the information isn't stored in just one place. 
Yeah, and the entire uh, realm of what it can do versus what it should do, I think, opens up into, you know, by creating a global reach, like you were saying, anybody can become the smallest of businesses, become an enterprise level, appearing to be enterprise level, uh, and giving access to so many other people. It kind of creates a, you think a market cap overall of things would, what's the potential there? If a bunch of people in in the U.S. have access to a fund only available in Japan, normally, well, I think I think what it does it actually it means that you can compete. So it means that potentially some of the big you know we talk about the fangs, the Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, you know those sorts of companies that have you know the Silicon darlings. You know we've we've seen them dominate. Um, and we've seen how NASDAQ historically has done, uh, sorry, not NASDAQ. Um, yeah, NASDAQ has actually performed very, very strongly because it's been very quite tech orientated. But you could then see other smaller businesses, potentially private businesses, actually being able to compete against some of those companies because the, the world is becoming easier to access. So I think, and, and, and we've, we've actually been working on, on an article, how, how do you make money out of the metaverse? How how can you actually access the metaverse? And it's interesting. There's a number of ETFs out there. Um, there's a number of companies that you know that are building to, you know hardware and software. You know, people like Microsoft are spending a huge amount of money. Facebook have renamed themselves. Their Facebook stock is they're taking a real pounding recently. But they they seem to be very much pinning their hopes on the metaverse being something which can really help them because they're trying to digitally transform what they do. So there's there's going to be some really big winners out of the um, out, out of the businesses that can digitally transform and, and get into the metaverse, without a doubt. You know, in the same way, arguably one of the best performing shares in the UK um, is is a company called Vodafone, because if you own shares in in a in a, in a radar company, Raikel, which has its origins in World War Two, developing the radar, you were given free shares in Vodafone, and Vodafone went on to become, you know, a very significant player in mobile communications. At one stage, uh, memory slips, but it owned 20 or 30% of Verizon, if, if you remember. In a few years, they sold that off. But you were given those Vodafone shares for free. So your in-cost was nothing originally for some of those people. Now, you're going to be lucky if you can get away with that again on another one. But my point is that companies that you may just heard of or haven't even heard of yet are going to come through and and be hugely successful. But I think some of the current, you know, some of the current businesses, they're going to struggle. They're not going to adapt and digitally transform. They'll think just because we've got a website, we're already digital. No, that's not enough. You've got to look at your product and service and how is it being offered and who else can you offer it to anywhere potentially in the world. That That is digital transformation, arguably. Just let me know when I can go and ring the bell in the metaverse at like 9 o'clock UTC. I want to <laughs> ring a big bell. Big bell, a bit, you know it'll be a digital one though. Well, when will the market open and close on a twenty-four-seven schedule? I got to hear the bell. Doesn't need to. Perhaps it'd be like your bedside alarm. Beep 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 beep. With MP3, an MP3 of a bell. An MP3 of a bell. <laughs> yeah. Right, but James, we ought to um, we ought to wrap it up really and um, let Marco come in. I know he's waiting. Um, we spoke to him a little bit earlier on, and some of the stuff he's going to touch on really interesting. But meanwhile. Um, if anyone wants a copy of Digital Bytes, then they can go to digitalbytes.substack.com or they can contact yourself, James Tiley at Cyber.fm or me, Johnny Fry at Team Blockchain. 
and we'll happily put you on the list so that you can get a copy. Every week it's free, no recommendations, no advice. It's simply trying to point out and discuss some of these topics that we've discussed today. And we do it every week and then come on the air and bring in all sorts of interesting guests, literally from all over the world. I like the fact that we post some of this stuff on LinkedIn. You got to get me in the LinkedIn more often. I got to get you on Twitter. Oh, you're got... always twat, 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 Twitter, Twitter. You're always you're you're on Twitter. You're you're good on Twitter. I'm gonna get you tweeting, and you're gonna get me linking. <laughs> Sounds good, James. This is real time music playing, cryptocurrency paying, free money radio. Hey, we're back over here with Digital Bytes and the podcast for Team Blockchain. Uh, Johnny Fry, I almost said Tommy Fry, what am I doing? Johnny Fry brought uh, a friend over here, Marco Annabelli. He's from Block Blocks, LLC, a little bit east of me in the Cayman Islands. But Marco wrote an article about just blockchains and sustainable development. And uh, that's in this week's article, uh, the newsletter. I'm really screwing this up, guys. I'm going to. James, what on earth are you doing? It's, look, it's morning time for you. You probably haven't had your Weetabix. You've probably. Got up, had a fag, and just pulled on a few clothes, and that's the it's day. This whole time zone thing, you know what I mean? I'm I'm a New Yorker. I get up early. I get up late, but it's early for yeah. for me at your standard. Oh, for goodness! You, know, Marco, you could actually welcome. just you could, you could cut the intro on, on the show this week, and thanks for doing your article. I know it's not something you normally do, um, but as you say, you you spend a lot of thought and time and put some ideas around blockchains and sustainable development. But before we get into that. Um, it'd be great just to have the listeners, just a brief background of how on earth you got involved in blockchain um, and Digi Assets or something like that, and a little bit about block blocks. Well, uh, I've been a, uh, what we call it, a, a nomad uh, most of my life. Uh, got into software very young, uh, high school, uh, which is the 70s, by the way, <laughs> for me. Um, and... Uh, Worked, you know, in the in in or around that uh, sector uh, my entire life. But moving from area to area as those areas became interesting, uh, I'm one of those fortunate people who has spent most of my life doing things I love. Uh, blockchain presented itself to me in 2009 uh, when I st- stood up a Bitcoin node just to see what is it. Uh, watched it operate for a few months and went, oh, that's interesting. Oh, look, I'm, I've got 250 Bitcoin. Oh, look at that. I've got 300 Bitcoin. And thought, well, you know, I bet you wish you kept hold of those. Right? Right? <laughs> he said, let but, me just power know. this computer off for a moment. And then forgot <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I, I, I basically was running on a backup laptop I had at the time. And when I got rid of the laptop, I, you know, nothing was really happening large world uh, perspective in Bitcoin. I understood how the, the platform worked and I thought, well, this might go somewhere and I'll keep an eye on the ecosystems and see what happens. But it didn't really go anywhere in my picture until we started to get into the Ethereum world. Um, and when Ethereum really sort of broke large, that's when I started taking a deeper look at blockchains again. And I got involved with a group doing a music industry project uh, which had me delving deep into uh, modifying node software because I still had this technical bent. I was doing a lot of commercials uh, work as well, but uh, I, I went back to my tech roots and dove in and said, oh, well, how much, how fast can I learn this? And uh, that got me into smart contract writing uh, and then consulting on the design of smart contracts. And it just went from there. And I spent a, a year working as a uh, product manager for IOHK, 
which is the software company that built Cardano. Uh, I've gotten recently involved uh, in the last three years uh, with the Casper community. Uh, I still do a lot of work with some layer two people doing smart contracts and DeFi uh, things. Uh, I have a project running currently on self-sovereignty uh, in general, um, uh, not just for identity. Uh, and then I've got uh, other projects that have just be falling in my lap because I'm connected into this world that uh, for the last uh, well, five years has been full of people with more money than they know what to do with and uh, people on the outside going, how can I tap into that? <laughs> so I get calls from all, all sectors and sometimes I get calls from sectors and I'm just going to go, that sector really deserves more attention. And so I do what I can to help them get there. Okay, well, that's that's great bit of bit of background. And I know you're currently doing some work um, with, with an old chum of mine, um, Max Zunoff from um, CC Forum, and that's really yeah. where sustainable development comes in. Because um, I know actually we're speaking next week on a couple of panels together, looking at how yeah. blockchain technology is going to be used with sustainable development. So, um, why why do you think it's why why is it sort of a, a good fit? Because obviously ESG, climate change, that they're, they're buzzwords. A lot of people are paying. Or talking about it, not sure how much they're actually doing about it, especially now that we're we got ca- gas is so expensive and everyone's getting their um, coal-fired power stations fired up this winter. But how can the technology be used then for sustainable development purposes? The the, the, the interesting thing about blockchain is not so much the technology itself, but the ethos that drove its its creation. The concept that there are infrastructures in our world that are not sustainable, right? And those infrastructures are blatantly banks, you know, as, as witnessed by the, 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 uh, the document that is attached to the genesis block of, uh, of Bitcoin, right? a rant against the fact that, you know, you can't trust your financial institutions to conduct themselves effectively. So stop trusting them to do so and do it yourself. That's where self-sovereignty comes in. And from a sustainability perspective, a lot of the ESGs come down to saying, wait a minute, we know that, for example, you know, poverty is a problem, but it's a problem because we have so much uh, centralization in our world and cities, for example, are arguably not very sustainable because they can't grow enough food in the city to supply the city with food. Yep. Uh, so you have to ask yourself, are cities sustainable? We don't ask those questions because that's an uncomfortable question. <laughs> but one of the things that uh, blockchain brings to the table is from a philosophical perspective is the concept of decentralization as a way of protecting small communities down to the individual from the vagaries of reality in the universe we live in, which is we don't know who's going to drop a bomb somewhere. We don't know when the next hurricane is going to hit and where. We don't know when the next asteroid is going to drop or the next uh, coronal mass ejection is going to happen or any number of other potential disasters that come, out, come about. In a decentralized world, the world doesn't crumble. A part of the world may be damaged, but the world as a whole continues on. Right now, the, you know, there are nightmare scenarios out there where what happens if someone just chooses to bomb New York, London, and uh, Beijing? right? They do that, the entire world crumbles. Well, it would be significant damage to the world, yes. So our, is the centralization of uh, the large amount of our data infrastructure in London, New York, and, and, and Beijing a good idea? Probably not. 
Okay, so 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 what you're saying is that we've it, uh, many of the traditional existing systems are built around processes and procedures whereby all of the information is held on, let's say, a series or maybe in certain cases, um, a a data center or a company's computer. Um, yeah. What we have with obviously um, with blockchain technology, the, the ethos behind it is that the information is decentralized, and then if you go on from that. You, you, you have things called DAOs, you have decentralized autonomous organizations, whereby potentially um, the, the, the decision making is decentralized. So therefore, in, in a worst case scenario, what you're saying, you know, some major capital cities, you know, are no longer there, then potentially um, we could still see a lot of the um, ways of moving value around or communicating or making decisions if they were decentralized, we become less vulnerable to to a one off attack. Therefore, it's more sustainable is is that where you're coming from well attacks are one thing right yep. but just nature is yep. in and of itself a problem right it, it's not without rising rising most of the major cities are potentially liable to flood so you know right <laughs> liable to flood or you know is it out of the realm of possibility this year to consider that a hurricane could do a direct hit on new york yeah yeah it hit halifax for god's sakes it hit James recently. You you nearly had your car blown away, James. Right. Yeah, I live in a I live in a very unique spot where they they do become very complacent. Yeah, it'll never land here. But I also yeah. exist. That also existed for me in New York. They became complacent. It'll never hit here. Right. And so, then Sandy. Right. And then Sandy was just a a, a brush. Right. <laughs> Halifax got a full on hurricane hitting it. Where you know, this is Halifax, it's so far north you would never expect a hurricane to survive that long, but it did. Yeah, that was the first time in history, right? As far as I know. As far as I know, yeah, first time a hurricane Mar- was Marco, still a hurricane back, that far north. Marco, just going back to your article, because I think you made some some really interesting points in the article, um, and which if anyone wants to get a copy of that, then you know you know the routine. You can contact either James or I, um, or go on to digibytes.substack, and you can get a copy of um, of Marco's article. But you were talking about. Um, one of the ways that blockchain can help, um, the number one goal, uh, um, and the goals aren't in any particular order from the United Nations. They, they, they've set out 17 different goals, but the number one goal is poverty. And you were mm-hmm. saying that there's a billion people that have no identity um, around, around the world, according to the World Bank. Right. Uh, identity is a, is a problem in and of itself because identity is just a proxy for accountability. Yep. Right. And it's only been around for effectively 100 years or so, uh, where it actually was used as a method of accountability. And that's because we now travel a lot, right? Versus, you know, 100 years ago, people basically were born, grew up, and, you know, the people they needed to interact with for an, with, with accountability were the people they lived with or near. So you were accountable because if you did something bad, everybody in your town knew it. So you didn't really need identity, right? Everyone knew who you were. Everyone knew what you'd done. Now that we live in a world where you're having to deal with people where you never met this guy, but he's got a proposition and it's attractive to you. And how do you, well, we're going to exchange, we're going to get lawyers together and they're going to exchange identity and we're going to make sure that, you know, everything's tickety-boo, contracts are signed and things happen and it's very slow and it's also centralized and it's a new lever of power for centralized authorities. You know, if you, if you look back a couple hundred years, the king didn't have really much to say in, in England other than, you know, larger mandates and maybe throwing his army around from time to time and possibly uh, upsetting the economies of local places. Most villages 
were self-sufficient. They grew their Self, own food. Self-governing. And self-governing. And they did just fine, right? Cities, it got a little more tricky because you had this whole imbalance where there were more people living there than there was food you could grow there. So they had to import, export, and the world got a little more complex. This concept of going back to a model where you support, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, don't give a man a fish, teach him how to fish, right? The, the, the idea of bringing decentralized or rather, you know, localized but decentralized governance and monetary systems back to the world and, and having it say, okay, you guys have to figure out collectively uh, how you're going to sustain your community. And yes, there's people who will help you and you know, make things possible and whatnot, but you have to do it. Because if you do it, then you don't need to keep asking for help. You're now self-sufficient. And you can then, you have the resources, hopefully, within wherever you are to deal with things. Now, of course, droughts come into play, climate change, obviously, uh, rising sea levels. The places we live are, are a problem. We, then migration is going to be also a problem. And of course, the centralized world has drawn lines on the on the planet and said, you know, you can't go, you can't cross that line, not allowed, uh, yeah. which is un, which is unfortunate. Uh, but I don't think I think the UN is moving towards this concept that maybe it's we need to sort of rethink how we deal with humanity rather than just dealing with human state structures. And this is this is a topic that you know raises a lot of hackles. I'm sure, because, you know, everyone prefers the status quo where they're comfortable where they are, obviously, except for the one billion people who aren't comfortable where they are. But, Mark, it's interesting. We, we're talking about one billion, and I'm sure many people think, oh, well, that's in sort of perhaps um, lesser developed countries that, you know, that they've perhaps been, um, they've lost their identity maybe because of some sort of, I don't know, political sanctions or, the, or war or something like that. But you know, the U.S. State Department still reckons that only 37% of the population in America have a passport. So th this is a global issue, and, and it's it something obviously blockchain can help solve because if you've got your identity onto a blockchain, then potentially if you can then identify yourself with a fingerprint or a retina or eye scan or something like that, then you can be – someone can be certain that you are who you say you are anywhere in the world <laughs> if you've got that self-sovereign identity. Right. I'm going to open, open the Pandora's box on a concept uh, that we're currently working on where we say your identity is immaterial, right? I, I don't really care if the U.S. government recognizes you as uh, Joe, Joe Smith and, or not. Uh, what I care about, really, if I'm talking about the truth of why I want your identity, is I want you to be accountable. Okay. So if I have a cryptographic methodology similar to a blockchain, it would never work on a blockchain, and I could dig into that if you like, but it was, that's more than a thousand words. <laughs> um, you want, your, you want to be able to prove to somebody that when I deal with people, I do what I say. And every, every transaction I've ever done, I have a database record of it that I can't edit, but it's me. It's everything I've done with everybody, and it's cross-referenced with everybody I did things with, so they also have a record of everything they've done with me. If you have that record in an immutable form that is trustable by anybody and is queryable by anybody with your permission, uh, you now have a way of saying... You know, because, you know, if I say this is my name, yeah, you can go after me in the courts. And if I happen to be in a non-extradition country, then, you know, you can have me extradited. Uh, sorry, you can't have me extradited. So bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> but if I then travel somewhere, you can grab me and put me in court and all that fun stuff. 
And so there's a whole authoritarian uh, system built around this that is centrally controlled. And if that central control system is gone, you've lost your identity. Right. And you've lost, you, you, whereas in a world where you have a record of everything you've ever done and you're carrying it around with you, then if the central authority that verified that, you know, in the United States, you're known as uh, John Smith, that's in there. If the U.S. government's central database of all the people that it has, it has authorized goes away, gets blown up, whatever, uh, or gets sunk, <laughs> um, you still have a copy of it. And everybody who also has copies of that will recognize that the authority that granted you that particular record in your database wasn't actually a, a verified authority. They're just no longer there. You still have the proof that you exist and have done transactions with people and that you, you know, ideally have been a person who, when he borrows money, he pays it back. When he says he's going to buy but, something, Marco, he does. Is this, is this what people mean by trustless environment? It's yeah. Trustless is a tricky word. But, you know, the English language needs work. I'm just going to say that out loud. <laughs> Actually, all languages need work because they're not really structured to deal with what this really is. It's not that it's trustless. It's that the trust is in the mathematics that has been developed and secured and tested to prove that when there is a record in this database, whether it's a blockchain or this new infrastructure I'm talking about, which is more than a blockchain. When that when that the math has been trusted and is believed to be you know verifiably correct, you don't need to trust. You have the data in front of you. But that's trust what I mean by trustless. You don't you no know, the the need for trust, the need for verification, actually goes away if there is a, a way of being able to say, I want to look at the track record of you repaying a loan, or, or I want to look right. at the employment track record, or I want to look at your track record of being a surgeon, or or whatever it may right. be. It can be done, um, and if we don't need to trust in it, it's it's it becomes a fact which is verifiable in that. Right, sense. it's a verifiable fact. So you, yeah, exactly. Trust is is an act of faith. Yeah, you do. You don't need faith here, other than possibly because let's face it, ninety nine percent of the people on this planet don't understand basic math. Well, when I say basic, I mean you know, end of high school serious math. So they are having faith in math or faith in the experts who did the math. But beyond that, once they've gone there, the record is the record. So if you, as you said, you know, are you a good surgeon? How many times have you done this operation? And, you know, you can ask his database that question. And he, if he says, yes, you can answer that, it will say, there you go. I've done this thing 47 times. And everyone was a success. You can ask, you can see that the patients all said, yes, this was lovely work. Okay. Marco, I know we could probably go on for ages. I know that you and uh, James um, want to have a chat at uh, a later stage about blockchain and the music industry in bits and pieces, but um, we're, we're going to have to wrap up um, this uh, th for this time. I'm sure we'll uh, get you back on the show um, at another date. But James, before we go, any thoughts spring to mind that you'd like to just quickly air or questions you'd like to bring up with Marco? No, I'm just going to say that I'm very intrigued. I'm aware personally of uh, goals 4, 8, 11, and 17 on this list, if you read the Digital Bytes article, uh, basically for the United Nations role with disabilities. So uh, everything is very on point. There's a lot of information. Every single goal that you look at has all this unique information and how you can link goal 4 and goal 8 to, like, say, disabilities. Uh, other than that, you know, we have a, I guess for transparency's sakes, I should say, we do have a professional relationship with the UN as well. So 
I'm happy to discuss. I think this was a great article with a lot of information about their goals. And uh, hang on, James, you're being very modest. You're the only radio that's officially broadcast in the United Nations. Isn't that correct? Or something like that? Well, I would say we are the only mobile app that's allowed inside the UN on their smartphones. That might wow. be fair. But that's because of news and release and, and, you know, not about us. But like I said, the the disability functions is what has my attention in terms of the flow chart. And um, we have some plans with the U.N. It goes all the way through 2030. This is definitely a long term goal with their sustainability plan. So I applaud the article and and I applaud Marco. (laughs) Okay, well, look, Marco, thank you very much for coming on the show this week. Um, looking forward to actually meeting you in person in London next week um, at the CC Forum event. And uh, James, thank you very much for getting things organised again this week. And um, if any of you would like to listen to another um, recording of this or you've come in halfway, then um, there will be um, a podcast on Spotify and Amazon and Google. And it's a whole host of podcast sites that we put these shows onto. Um, alternatively, if you want to get a hold of a copy of the written article um, with all the goals that James and Marco are referring to, just either contact uh, James at cyber.fm or you can go online, digitalbytes.substack.com uh, and you can download a copy with all the hyperlinks um, representing things to them. But, but gentlemen, thank you very much. And James, we'll be back um, next week with another edition of Digital Bytes. Thank you very much for having me on. It was a pleasure. You're very welcome. <laughs>